Insurance and Injury Law Show, yeah, the number one 888-990-9646. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Got so much to get through today, brother, but we're going to go through a uh, few cases first like we always do. What do you got going on? All right, so I have good news. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first piece of good news is that uh, my associate, Albert, who works with me on long-term disability claims, uh, actually had a uh, success story where uh, one of the listeners here, actually, of 640 contacted us because she was told she was going to get cut off LTD, long-term disability, and he intervened, contacted the adjuster at the insurance company, wrote this big, long, semi-aggressive, assertive email explaining why it is that they're making a huge mistake if they're going to, in fact, go through and cut her off. Right. And, uh, you know, this week we get an email back from the adjuster saying, we are backing off. Uh-huh. We are now going to cut you off. So phenomenal. This lady didn't have to pay us a dime for this. We're just happy to Excellent. get this amazing result. Uh, you know, and let's see what happens in the future. Hopefully, you know, this particular adjuster is going to be careful with this claimant, with this lady that we just helped, and not just pull the trigger just because she thinks she can. Right? Well played, Albert. Uh, yeah, exactly. So kudos to him. And, you know, it's not the only success, success story that we get, uh, you know, at the firm oftentimes we're able to intervene uh, before the person gets cut off, but it's absolutely crucial that if you are on long-term disability and you're told you are going to get cut off for any reason, whatever the reason is, in a month, in two months, in five months, that you give us a call or email me. Let us have a look at your situation. Examine some of the medical documents that the insurance company has. Let's figure out if we can interject, if we can intervene here. Because, you know, it's one thing to have the individual, the insured person, the person who is at their worst state at this point, right? I mean, they're either psychologically or physically or both at a very low state, and here they are being victimized by being told by the insurance company, you don't deserve these ongoing benefits, even though they do under the policy and with the support of their doctors. It's one thing to have those people be up against this insurance company. It's another thing to have us be the barrier and us pushing back on the adjuster, because then the adjuster has to consider, well, if they proceed with the cutoff, they're going to get a legal claim on their desk, and now they're going to be in trouble with their supervisor, and they're going to have to pay out. It's one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. What else we got going on? All right. So one of the websites that, of course, we have that we talk about is mydisabilityquestions.com. Mm-hmm. Allows people who have long-term disability claims go on this website, post their question, and you get an answer directly from me. And this is again, you know, it's it's open to the public. I mean, go on that website and you'll see the questions and the answers. So let me read one of them, which was interesting. So Eric from Newcastle writes, my mother is on home dialysis due to an extremely rare kidney disease. She has been declined for long-term disability um, due to having uh, the dialysis. And uh, it's hard for her to work full-time, obviously, clearly, if she's getting dialysis uh, in Toronto while commuting from Oshawa. So he's asking, um, would she be a good candidate for long-term disability, or is a decline warranted? So essentially what he's asking is this. Let's say you have someone who is uh, disabled from working uh, and then suffers a further decline in their ability to work. Okay, So that person has already has had difficulty working and now has suffered further decline. And the question essentially from Eric is whether or not the insurance company, when they're evaluating the claim, if they have to see a decline in the person's inability to work? And the answer essentially is no. The test is not whether or not the person declines in their health situation. The question really is, is long-term disability coverage available to this individual, right? Because you can't apply Mm -hmm. for it unless you have coverage for it. And uh, do you qualify under the terms of the policy? Meaning, 
are you disabled from doing your work or significant aspects of your work? And that question is answered through the doctors that are treating you, whether it's a family doctor or a psychiatrist, or in, in this case, uh, it would be some kind of a specialist, whether it's a nephrologist or whoever else is dealing with this lady. So she does not have to continue declining in order to get, in, in, in terms of her, of, of, of her health, right. uh, in order to qualify. She simply has to meet the criteria for being unable to work and she should meet the test. And I told Eric, if she doesn't, give me a call. We will straighten it out. But if she if she continues to decline and she's on LTD, that might lengthen the amount of time she's on LTD. That's correct. It might exactly. have an effect on it, right? Absolutely. The two-year mark where it's, you know, they go through that barrier, right? Absolutely. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I mean, but that's a different question as right. to whether or not they will continue the LTD. But in this case, it seems like she was declined just from the beginning, and I'm not really sure why, because clearly if you're on dialysis, you're going to have difficulty performing any type of job. And I've had clients before. I, I had a client, uh, I think it was last year, who was a long-haul uh, tr- uh, truck driver mm-hmm. uh, who was on dialysis several times a week, and the insurance company said, no, you can, you can go ahead and, and drive. What do you mean he can drive? He's on dialysis several times a week. By the way, he also had uh, open heart surgery. It was a clear-cut case where the insurance company was 100% wrong. And guess what? We resolved the dispute, and they had paid this individual what he was owed under the policy. I had an uncle that was on, does it three, day, three days a week on dialysis. Yeah, I mean, he, it's debilitating, right? barely drive, never mind drive for a living. That's right. I mean, That's listen, all, all depends on the kind of work you have. If you can work yeah. remotely or if you can do things from home, you know, every case is, is individual. But generally, people contact me, it's because they feel they've been wronged. It's because they feel that, look, my doctors are supporting my disability. I cannot go back to work at the present time. Approve me, and the insurance company says no. And oftentimes, it's a very callous no with very little to no explanation. Before we uh, break, man, about a minute, give me some details on the injury calculator. Uh, That's a beautiful tool we created uh, about a year and a half ago. And what it does, it allows people who've been injured through no fault of their own, so a car accident, a slip and fall on ice because somebody didn't maintain the area, uh, and you've been injured, and you want to know, well, does it make sense for me to start a legal claim? What can I be looking at in terms of pain and suffering compensation? And generally, you'd have to call a lawyer to get that. Mm-hmm. And even lawyers are very evasive when you ask them that because there are a lot of factors that come in and you know in, into play when you assess pain and suffering. This calculator essentially is a database that we've created of cases from across the country, court cases, where people have gone all the way to court and judge, judges have ruled, you know, your, your, your ankle fracture is worth X amount for pain and suffering. Your shoulder tear is worth X amount. Uh, a fatality is worth mm-hmm. Y. And so people can go to the injurycalculator.ca website, input a few key pieces of information. It'll take you two, 25 seconds at most. But what will happen is the calculator will shoot back a range of damages compensation that you could be looking at for your pain and suffering. The numbers we go to break, uh, keep it on you. Anyway, to get a hold of Savan, one 9646 The email, as you know, we'll get to some of those during the course of the show today. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's Talk Radio, AM 640. one 9646 Keep that number with you all times in your phone. That'll get you in touch with Savan directly. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And we talked about it just before the break. If you have not tried the injury calculator, find out what your pain and suffering should be worth. Injurycalculator.ca as well. What else we got going on before I get to some of those emails? Well, I had a tragic uh, call last week from a person who was referred to me through a friend of the family. And this person called me because his father-in-law was a pedestrian. This was a few weeks back in March, was a pedestrian. uh, And he was struck by a car that was making a turn. Um, The 
uh, pedestrian, the individual, his father-in-law, 81 years old, passed away oh, from his injury. In fact, this was on the news. The driver of the vehicle was himself, I think, uh, 91 years old or so. So just a tragic situation. But really, the reason for the call was, well, w- w- how are we going to be dealing with insurance here? Right. The deceased person had no car insurance, but obviously the driver who hit him did have car insurance. And so I told him, look, I said, you're going to have here two claims. Actually, the family, the surviving family is going to have two claims. And this applies to uh, fatality cases in general as a result of Mm -hmm. a car accident. The first claim is with respect to accident benefits. We've talked about those before. Accident benefits in Ontario in a fatality claim, it doesn't matter who's at fault or not. The deceased Uh, family is entitled to certain benefits from either the deceased's own insurance company or the insurance company of whoever caused the accident. And what are those benefits? Well, under Ontario law, uh, you're entitled to, or the spouse is entitled to $25,000, okay? Uh, The uh, dependents uh, are entitled to $10,000 each, and there is $6,000 that the family is entitled to uh, or owed for funeral expenses, but that's accident benefits. What about the situation here where, you know, the driver was at fault for striking this individual? Well, then if somebody else was at fault for the fatality, the family is then um, allowed to advance a claim, a legal claim, against that driver's insurance yeah, okay. company uh, for what's called loss of care, guidance, and companionship under the Family Law Act. And what does that mean? Essentially, it means that the family members here, the spouse, the children, the grandchildren, they are entitled to advance this claim for the fact that they've lost this individual that they were close to, right? So they have this loss. They have this loss of companionship of this person. They're entitled to damages as against the driver of the vehicle that struck uh, the person who is deceased now for uh, damages under the Family Law Act for loss of care, guidance, and companionship. Uh, you know, and, and this is very important to understand that you know the insurance company for whoever was responsible for the accident is going to try and shut this case down for 10 cents on the dollar. And I'm not saying that a family uh, that has to deal with the death of a, of a loved one, uh, you know, th- that, that they're looking to retire off of whatever the insurance right. company is going to have to pay them. But it's very important that you get the, the, the proper advice, that you don't just, you know, negotiate with the insurance company directly without seeking uh, the advice of a lawyer that deals with this area of law. Uh, so, you know, just to give this individual some some information, I told him, look, I said, uh, the deceased person has uh, two adult children. They're probably going to end up receiving or should receive thirty, forty, or $50,000 mm-hmm. approximately each uh, for their uh, loss of yep. their father. Uh, the grandchildren are also going to have uh, certain types of claims. And, you know, because this deceased individual... Um, was not working at the time, the family is not going to be entitled to any damages for loss of income because that person can't bring that in. But again, very important to understand that, you know, there may be other ancillary expenses associated. Maybe the funeral costs $10,000, not six. Um, you know, and well, if the accident benefits insurer, right, is paying 6000 maybe they can recover the excess from that other insurance company. So again, the point is, very tragic situation in fatality cases. Make sure that if that happens or if you know somebody who's going through that, that they're not just dealing with the insurance companies by themselves. They are going to need the guidance. That's what I was going to ask. I mean, if you know, he was well, well past retirement age, so it was you know companionship loss. But if it was someone, say, you or I, our age, that would be a completely different ballgame, right? I mean, oh, we're completely. still supporting a family for the next 
foreseeable future, 25, 30 years. Right? Absolutely, John. Yeah. If it's me or you, then our, our spouses and our families are going to be entitled to compensation well in excess of what, uh, you know, the, the claim for care, oh, yeah. uh, guidance and companionship. Because, you know, if, if, if you bring home whatever it is, $10 a month as, as, as an example, the, the court's not going to say that your family's entitled to that $10 a month until... Uh, you would have been at 65 years old, right? I mean, th- th- what the court's going to say or, or, or what the negotiations will be based on is is a fraction of that, but it's still a fraction, right? So, you know, if you're bringing $10 a month as an example, uh, the court may say that uh, you're entitled to six, or sorry, your family's entitled to six or $7 out of that $10. And, and again, that, that has a cumulative effect. You bet. I mean, if you're 40 years old and you had 25 years of work-life expectancy, just imagine how much money the family may be entitled to from the insurance company. So you have to make sure that you get the right advice from an injury lawyer that deals with that area of law. Would they? Uh, would that factor in, say, kids in university, all that stuff moving forward, especially if you're the sole breadwinner in the family? Absolutely, it does. Absolutely, because yeah. really, remember, at the end of the day, this is a compensation-based system. So the question is, how is the family going to be compensated? How are the kids going to get compensated? Uh, and again, every case is individual, which is why we can't really, you know, we don't have a formula here. It's one of those cases, and I keep saying that, you know, that when I was working as a defense lawyer years ago, working for insurance companies, I would see claims that were advanced, uh, and they weren't advanced properly. I mean, you they were know, missing tons they were, of they things. They were missing right? th- exactly. Yeah. So I would settle claims from my insurance clients for fifty cents on the dollar because that was my job, and the wow. other lawyer just wasn't seeing. Uh, what you know really was right in front of me. Uh, so really, really important to understand that you have to make sure you get the full compensation that you're entitled to. And if you don't, and you sign that document at the end, you're that, done. those settlement documents, you can't go back yeah. and unravel that. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is a number. Keep it on you. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We got lots more of the insurance and injury law show straight ahead. Talk radio AM six forty. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number to get hold of Savannah anytime. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. That is the email address used right here by Len. Says a friend of mine who listens to you every week told me to email you and ask you what you think about my case. I'm a 54 year old limo driver, and I was in a really bad accident. Not my fault. About a year ago, I was on short term disability, and then I was approved for long term. Now the insurance company says that I should be able to go back to work or at least try. But my doctors say that I'm not ready, and I know that it's uh, that I'm not ready. What should I tell my adjuster? She was uh, she was quite rude last time I spoke to her. Well, Len, thanks for the email, and let's unpack this. So we're dealing here with multiple claims. So this is a car accident, right? And we just finished talking about what happens in car accidents, that you have accident benefits claims, and if it's not your fault and you're injured, you have a tort claim against whoever was at fault. And in addition to that, Lennon is now dealing with a very rude adjuster uh, with respect to a disability claim, a long-term disability claim. Um, So, you know, very, very important to understand that these claims uh, have to work in conjunction with each other. And I I get questions like this all the time, by the way, right? I'm getting benefits from uh, my car insurance company. I'm I'm getting benefits from my long-term disability insurer. Can I get both? Is there a deduction? Generally speaking, yes, there is a deduction. But it's very important to understand that these claims affect each other. And let me throw another curveball, John. Uh, Now, he, Lendon mentioned this, but what happens if then there's a problem with his employer? And there is severance, right? right? So again, remember, it's very important to go to a lawyer or law firm that understands all of the issues here. So let's deal with a specific question that you have, Len. What should you tell your adjuster? Well, if your doctors are saying 
and I'm not just saying orally, I'm saying in writing, if they are writing down reports uh, that expressly state that in their medical opinions, you are not able to go back to work, then that's that. That trumps all. That trumps all. You don't have to do anything that the insurance company is telling you vis-a-vis having to try to go back to work if it's against medical advice. And, you know, people feel pressured, obviously, by the adjusters, by the case managers, by the insurance companies. But listen, at the end of the day, it's not just about money. It's about your health. If you put uh, the insurance company's needs ahead of your own and you try to go back to work and you fail, you may have taken now 10 steps backwards, right, right, from a health standpoint. So here's my suggestion to you, Len. After the show ends, give me a call. Let's connect. Let me deal with this adjuster. I will get this adjuster off your back. At the same time, I want to understand what is happening with your car accident claim. Because if that wasn't started yet, it needs to be started ASAP, given the fact that over a year ago, you are still not working. So you're going to have a significant claim here against whoever the driver was uh, that uh, struck you. Uh, and, and of course, accident benefits. Again, we have to make sure everything works in tandem here. But if you're First urgent question is what to do with this adjuster and how to deal with them with the insurance company because they're forcing you to go back to work. Let me deal with them. Don't talk to them. Let me deal with them. Just give me the medical documentation you have. Let me get some clarification on a few points and let me get them off your back. And trust me, I will. You mentioned accident benefits a few times uh, today already. Are those are do those kick in rather quickly? Yes, they do. Yeah, they do. Yeah, right? they, they kick no. in very very quickly. We're talking about income replacement benefits. We're talking about uh, attendant care benefits. We're talking about a whole bunch of various benefits. Medical rehabilitation, right? I mean, you're injured in a car accident. You need treatments. You need to go to a clinic. Most clinics know how to deal with insurance companies in the context of car accidents. But yes, these benefits kick in very quickly. There are some restrictions. Mm -hmm. For example, you can get income replacement benefits for the first seven days, the first week after an accident. But generally speaking, yeah, I mean, the timelines are very short and you should have them, um, the the, the forms filled out and everything going through the system as quickly as possible. You know, you talk about CPP disability on past shows over the the years. So, you know, you've mentioned the importance of applying for a CPP disability if you're not on long term. More information, what is it and and why is it so important? So this is interesting. So we keep talking about uh, CPPD, CPP disability in the context of uh, long term disability claims. And I'm going to circle back to that in a moment. But just just so we understand what that is, essentially it's a safety net uh, for people who become disabled and can't work. Now, we know statistically that 60% of applications are denied, and 43% of these applications, uh, the denial is maintained. But what does that mean? It means that about 50% of people who apply for CPP disability get approved. And generally, you know, how much do you get on a monthly basis? It varies. There is a range, but generally you get about nine hundred to a thousand dollars a month. It increases with inflation, uh, and, and you know once you get accepted uh, for CPP disability, the benefits can be paid retroactively to one year before the date of the application. So it's very important, you know, to obviously apply uh, for this, uh, especially in the context of LTD claims. And again, I'll talk about that in a second. Um, now, what's the test for that? For getting approved? Well, the test is that your disability has to be severe and prolonged. And again, you're going to have to have medical documentation, medical reports uh, to support that. And of course, what is the advantage for that? Because most people who contact me in the context of long-term disability claims ask me, well, why is the insurance company pushing me to do this? And what is the advantage to get CPP disability? Well, think about it this way. Uh, The LTD insurer, your insurance company, 
keeps fighting you or will fight you at some point in the future as to whether or not you are still disabled from working. Well, if you got approved for CPP disability, now you have an argument if your insurance company says, we don't think you're no longer as disabled as you say you are, we think you can go back to work. Well, you turn around and say, well, hold on for a second. I had to qualify for CPP disability. And that's tougher. The test is very tough. I got approved. So who are you, LTD insurer, to deny me now? So, you know, it gives you an extra argument. Plus, if the LTD insurer ends up cutting you off and you have to have me involved to fight them, it gives you something to live on during that period of time when you're fighting them. So very, very important. The other thing that I just want to mention is that with CPP disability, just like with LTD, We're not just talking about physical disabilities. We're not just talking about psychological disabilities. It can be a mix. And oftentimes, in fact, in the majority of cases, it is a mix, right? There is the overlay of the psychological with the physical, whether you're dealing with, you got it, chronic pain, all that kind of stuff. Quick question before we break, though. If you uh, get approved for CPP, maybe this is another reason why insurance companies push for it. So if you're getting 1000 from the insurance company, CPP is going to give you 500 That's deducted from the from the insurance company, yes? That's correct. Well, that's that's why they want it, right? Uh, absolutely, yeah. The LTD insurer knows that if you are getting, as you said, $500 from CPP, that's $500 less that the LTD is going to nice. have to pay. But again, keep in mind what that CPP disability payment represents. It represents independent income. So if you get cut off at some point from the LTD insurer, CPP doesn't cut you off. You continue to get the money from them. And it allows us to argue even in a more you know, uh, uh, stronger fashion totally. uh, that, that the LTD insurer ought not to have cut you off and should reinstate you. We'll get to more of that. More of your emails as well. one 990 it's Insurance Injury Law Show. Talk Radio, AM640. one 990 number right there. Gives it out all the time. Email as well, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. If you haven't checked out the injury calculator, find out what your pain and suffering could be. Uh, in any case, injurycalculator.ca as well. We were talking about uh, CP, uh, CPP disability and all the ins and outs of that. How about uh, if you have dependent children under 18? How does it affect that? So with, with, with dependent children, um, if they're under 18 or if they're between 18 and 25 and they're attending university or college, uh, you can also receive a monthly uh, children's benefit. Uh, now, the interesting thing is that many times the LTD insurer will try and deduct that amount as well. And that's not so straightforward. So if that's happening to you, contact me. Essentially, the provisions of the LTD policy have to stipulate that they're allowed to deduct that, but it's not something that they can automatically do. So if you, John, are disabled and you're getting CPP disability, but you're also getting that for your daughter, uh, they can simply deduct from what they're paying you, the LTD insurer, what you're getting from CPP and what your daughter is getting from CPP. They can deduct what you're getting, but it's not automatic that they can deduct mm. what your daughter... And there are arguments as to why it is that the children's benefit from CPP should not be deductible. So very important to understand these kinds of issues. Is it taxable, issues. CPP? Uh, yes, okay. yes, it is taxable. Yeah. Get to another email here, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Laura writes in, says a friend of mine was on her bicycle last week and was hit by a car. I was trying to pass her on the road. My friend was thrown off her bike and uh, hit her head. She's taken to hospital by ambulance and diagnosed with a concussion. She's still in the hospital. The police charged the driver, and I'm trying to help my friend and her parents figure out what she should be uh, doing legally here. What do you suggest? Well, the first thing, uh, Laura, is you have them give me a call. 
and, and let me talk to them because there are a lot of things that have to happen right now. Um, you know, the first thing, obviously, the most important thing is she's getting the treatment that she needs to get. Remember that a concussion is a brain injury. Yep. So re- I'm really hoping here that it's not a severe kind or this is not going to be something where uh, the, the, the brain injury symptoms persist uh, because, you know, that's I've seen those kinds of cases. I deal with those kinds of cases. Uh, and, and I will let the doctors deal with that aspect. But from a legal standpoint, you know, the other, the, the driver was charged. Uh, and, and, and so there's going to be, again, two claims here. There's going to be an accident benefits claim, right, with the insurance company, presumably the driver's insurance company, assuming that uh, your friend doesn't have auto insurance. Uh, but there's going to be also that other claim, the one for pain and suffering and everything above and beyond what the accident benefits uh, insurer is going to be paying. And again, that's something that we have to uh, talk about because I need to understand a bit about, um, you know, her education, uh, her work, her age, yeah. all those kinds of issues so we can figure out how to frame the claim and to make sure that we start the claim as soon as absolutely possible. But if she's still in the hospital, it may be a little premature right now. We could start the accident benefits claim and set the stage for starting the legal claim against the at-fault charged driver uh, as soon as uh, we know more from the doctors in terms of uh, diagnosis and prognosis of her injuries. Another email here from Jason says, I slipped on ice a couple months ago when I came out of a McDonald's near my house. I uh, landed on my left knee. Oh, man, twisted it. Uh, I also broke my ankle in two places and had surgery. I've been told by my surgeon that my injury may never fully heal. I'm a contractor and had to cancel several renovation jobs. It cost me about 15000 bucks so far. Who's responsible for these losses and what happens if I can't work uh, the way I did before forever for my fall? Well, Jason, very. Uh, th- th- these are severe injuries. Uh, and, um, you know, injuring an ankle the way you did, uh, breaking it the way you did and having surgery, I can tell you just from the... The, the, I've dealt with so many cases of this count. I've spoken yeah. to so many orthopedic surgeons uh, that I believe completely what you were told that uh, the injury may may never heal. Not it's to a tricky joint, right? Uh, very tricky, and, and the knee too. Oh, I yeah. mean, the lower extremities, and I, I don't know how old Jason is, but you know, you're dealing with injuries that could be life-altering completely. And uh, you know, being a contractor, it's a very, very physical job. And he's lost fifteen thousand dollars so far. So far, and, and I, I can tell you, Jason, you know, the fifteen thousand dollars—that's probably going to be a drop in the bucket if you're going to have persisting pain and limitations in your knee and in your ankle. Uh, I'm assuming there's going to be other uh, types of injuries you've suffered from this, but these 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 appear to be the the predominant ones. So so who's responsible for this? Well, you said you came out of a McDonald's near a house. So I'm not sure exactly where you slipped. Was it on McDonald's premises? Right. Is it part of a plaza? In other words, could there be a plaza owner? Is there a management company that's responsible? A winter maintenance company? Um, sometimes you have multiple entities. So for example, you have a plaza, and you fall outside of you know, in this case, McDonald's, but perhaps it's abutting another store or another uh, vendor that's there. You know, perhaps the responsibility is with three or four or five different entities. So it's extremely important to do the due diligence required to figure out who are all the responsible parties. Because when we start a claim for compensation here, and you can go, by the way, to to, uh, injurycalculator.ca to figure out the type of pain and suffering you're looking at, uh, I can tell you that if $15,000 over the last couple of months, Jason, if that represents uh, the type of money that you generally make over a few months, then just extrapolate that over the course of a year or two years or five years or however many years you want, and it could dwarf the amount of money you could potentially be looking at for pain and suffering. 
So if your pain and suffering damages here could be, let's say, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars, your income losses could potentially be a lot more than that, depending on how much impact you suffer uh, from these injuries and you know over the long term projections. So it's extremely important that we have a chat and that we do the due diligence required to figure out who everyone who is at fault is, contact them, get their insurance companies um, ready to talk, and then start a claim as soon as possible to get the ball rolling. But this is something I'm telling you right now. This is a type of claim, um, John, that I see day in and day out uh, at, at my office. And I can also tell you that as a result of having been on the air for several years now, I got people calling me with these kinds of injuries where they've been with another lawyer or law firm, and these cases just go on for years and years. Mm-hmm. Why? Because th- they delay the, the initial stages. They don't start the claim until you know they're just before the limitation period, two years later. Stupid. And there's no need for that. I mean, Jason, your injuries are fairly severe. I would start to claim ASAP. We just have to do the due diligence to figure out who are the responsible parties. one 990 is that number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. More emails and questions. When we uh, return here, more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio, AM 640. one 990 is the number anytime. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And if you haven't been there, check out mydisabilityquestions.com or fightformyltd.com as well. Uh, some interesting stuff there we'll get to before the end of the show. Question, LTD, sometimes uh, long-term disability insurers reject claims on the basis that the uh, disability arises out of a workplace conflict, not an actual disability. I mean, how do you handle those? So that, that's fascinating because, you know, many times people uh, who work in toxic environments, they'll call me up and they'll say, Sivan, you know, as a result of, of being under the thumb of this manager yeah. or, you know, all these people who are, um, you know, being racist to me and I'm stressed out, man. stressed out. Exactly. I've developed these psych- psychiatric yep. or psychological issues and I'm being treated for the, for, for, for these. It's for real. It's for real. Exactly. But the insurance company, the LTD insurer is rejecting my claim because they say it's work specific, meaning we think you can go and work elsewhere and, and your issues will resolve. So, you know, let's again unpack that. What does that mean? What's the insurance company actually saying here? What the insurance company is saying is that the test for getting LTD is whether you have a disability that prevents you from working. Period. If you don't have that disability, meaning if the only issue for why you can't work is because you simply can't stand your coworkers or your manager, that's not the insurance company's problem. And they are correct in that. Mm -hmm. But what they're missing or what they are blindly turning their, their, their eyes away from is the fact that you could be in a situation where because of the toxicity of the environment, you've developed now these disabling psychological conditions, and now it doesn't matter anymore if you go to a different workplace, a different employer, you know, you're still suffering from those. You've developed it. You've developed them, mm-hmm. right? And they are disabling you. And so oftentimes the insurance adjuster will simply confuse the issue of disability and the toxicity in the workplace right. and say that it's the workplace that's disabling you or, or that is the issue, not the disability, and that's wrong. That's the number one battle. That's for sure their go-to argument, right? Huge, absolutely yeah. huge. And you know, by the way, that lends itself to me having a discussion with one of our employment lawyers because, of course, if there is a poisonous work environment that is causing all this starting, uh, then oftentimes I can deal with the LTD insurer, and in conjunction with that, one of my employment lawyers at the firm working with Lior can deal with the employment situation. And that's huge, by the way, because yeah. then we have you know the, the the individuals back from both sides. The two-pronged approach. You got it, yeah. exactly. And we yeah. can maximize the compensation the person is entitled to. 
one 990 is the number. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca. Nancy Wright says, I've been on long-term disability for almost two years now and was told by my case manager that my benefits will end will end in five weeks. I'm wondering if this is because my policy expires at the time uh, for some other reason. Any ideas? Well, Nancy, I haven't seen the policy, but I can tell you that in my experience, it's rare to see policies, LTD policies, that only go for two years. My sense is that what's happening here is you were told that yeah. the two-year mark is coming up. The test for, for getting disability changes. We'll talk about that in a second. And so, therefore, in their opinion, you would not meet that test. And they're telling you now, we're going to cut you off. You better start thinking about going back to work. And many times, John, people are in that position. They have no idea what to do. They simply assume, like Nancy, that, well, maybe that's just when my disability insurance uh, is expired. And, and no, that's not the case. And, and, you know, Nancy, you would have gotten a letter or you're going to get a letter that explains exactly why it is that they're telling you that uh, in five weeks you're no longer going to be getting LTD payments. And I can bet uh, on pretty much almost anything that it's not because your policy expires in two years, but it's because they view your disability as not having... Uh, being able to meet that additional test. And what's that additional test? So for the first two years of LTD, the test is, can you do your own job? Period. Beyond, period. Beyond the two years, right, the definition of disability is, is, is wider now. Now they're asking, not can you do your own job, but can you do any job for which you suited by training, education, or experience? And oftentimes they'll simply say, as a matter of course, no, in our view, you can do something else. And many times when people come to me, that's not the case. In fact, the doctors are actually saying, no, this person is unable to go back to any job at this point. Uh, So very, very important, Nancy, that you contact me off air. Let me see whatever letter or correspondence you've received from the insurance company. I can take a look at your policy as well. And I can tell you within a matter of a minute or two whether or not Uh, It's uh, because your uh, policy expires at the two-year mark, which is unlikely, uh, or whether it's because of what more commonly happens, that they simply think that you will not meet the new and expanded definition of disability. I wonder, you know, we had that case. total disability. We had that case earlier on the show about the uh, contractor broke his ankle, all smashed up, and he's, you know, he's off work. I wonder if he would hit that two-year mark, what he would do. Could he teach? I guess they would try to get him to do something like that. They would, of course. Absolutely, they would try to get him to. Well, it all depends on, you know, listen, not every contractor has a designation. Right. right? It's the fact that you've been doing work as a contract, it doesn't mean you can actually teach. So again, that's also very important, right? We've talked about this. What does it mean that you can do any work for which you trained for or have an education for or have experience in? And we often give that example of the orthopedic surgeon, right? Yep. Who operates on people and then uh, has some kind of an injury, injures uh, his, his hand, he can't operate. So for the first two years of his LTD policy, he qualifies because he can't operate. He can't do his own job. But beyond the two years, the insurer will say, well, you can teach. You're qualified. You have Go to experience. med school and teach kids. Exactly. Yeah. You can do it. And so therefore, you don't qualify beyond the two years. But for many, many people out there, generally, when they have a disability that's disabling them from doing their own job, right? Mm-hmm. In just the, the vast majority of cases, usually it's because they are having issues that probably preclude them from doing any other type of job. Right. So that's why people often, you know, get uh, swept in that net uh, that insurance companies cast and they say, well, no, the two-year mark is coming up. We believe you can do something else. And the person says, no, I can't, but they're cut off anyways. And that's when they call me.
one 990 is the number. A few more minutes to go here. In the meantime, you want to send us a quick email. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And if you got some time as well, anytime, not uh, just during the show, go to injurycalculator.ca. Find out what your pain and suffering could be worth. Very simple tools to use. More of the insurance and injury law. Show straight ahead. Talk radio, AM 640. one 990 Help at the is the email. Nick writes in here, says, I was cut off long-term disability. Because they say they have a surveillance on me that shows that I was at the gym doing some exercises, but I was doing that as a part of what my physiotherapist and doctor recommended. I don't understand why they cut me off. Well, Nick, they cut you off because uh, they they view the fact that you went to the gym uh, to mean essentially that you can do whatever it is. You're all better and and you can function. Uh, When the reality is that oftentimes that's not the case, right? We try to help ourselves by following doctor's recommendations, which is what you were doing. You're following your physiotherapist recommendations and doctor's recommendations. Uh, And and, you know, it's interesting to me. uh, In many instances, when insurance companies get surveillance done, and the person ends up calling me, they're shocked uh, that the insurance company, their insurance company hired the private investigator uh, to, to, you know, spy on them, to, to take some video. So first of all, people need to understand that insurance companies often use this tactic. And that's why I always say, listen, if you are legitimately disabled, you have nothing to worry about. And, and I'm telling you right now, no insurance company is going to order a private investigator to um, uh, spy on you 365 days out of the year. Usually what they yeah, do right. is they'll get somebody uh, to follow you for a day or two days or three days just to see if you're doing things that don't correspond with what you're telling them is the nature of your disability. So if you're telling them, for example, if you're reporting to the insurance company that you can't go to work because... Uh, you're pretty much in bed every day and, and you know, you're, you're under the covers uh, and you can't do anything. And then suddenly they have surveillance that shows you going to a soccer match and playing soccer or, right. you know, doing, doing things like that. Well, then, yes, it's going to call into question uh, your credibility and, and your claim. But, you know, generally speaking, uh, insurance companies, when they order surveillance, they do so because a lot of times they have some suspicions. In this case, though, with Nick... Uh, clearly, Nick, uh, they cut you off and, and they cut you off because of that surveillance. That's what they've told you. Uh, that was inappropriate given the fact that you were following treatment yeah. recommendations. So I suggest, what I suggest is you give me a call and let me engage with the insurance company. I'm going to get a letter from your doctor and the physiotherapist confirming that they told you that you should be going to the gym and doing X, Y, and Z in terms of exercises. And I'm going to try and get the insurance company to reverse position. Because look, at the end of the day, you have an obligation to mitigate your damages, to mitigate your injuries. And what does that mean? It means that you have an obligation to try and get better. Well, if you're following your doctor's recommendations, you are doing that. So now the insurance company is punishing you. I can tell you that if they don't listen to me, Nick, and they don't reverse their position, we start a legal claim. And I will get you the compensation that you deserve because at the end of the day, no reasonable judge will ever agree with the insurance company here if you are, in fact, following your doctor's recommendations. Got a couple of minutes here. We'll get to a a quick uh, quick email before we wrap up. Last one will be Howard says, my wife was let go from her job last week. She's been on LTD for a year. And uh, on top of being let go, we've just been told by the insurance adjuster that she should try to be going back to work, but she can't. She's undergoing treatments for a neurological issue that affects her ability to focus and remember things. She's an insurance broker and is 44 years old. How do we deal with this? Well, we we have three claims here, actually, just from reading the email, Howard. Number one, the fact that your wife was let go 
from her job while she's on disability or while she's in disabled, first of all, there is an issue, an employment law issue, yep. which Lior can deal with and does deal with uh, on a daily basis. Uh, also, there's a potential human rights violation here, right? When an employer lets someone go when they're disabled. And of course, we have here the uh, disability uh, issue, the LTD issue, when the long-term disability insurance company, for whatever reason, does not accept the opinions of the doctors th- that are presenting their opinions and saying this person cannot work. So Howard, we can deal with your wife's claim from all of these angles in-house, it would be essentially me and an employment lawyer, and we would basically have a two- or three-pronged approach to make sure that, uh, first of all, the employer treats her the way that he should be treating her and that the insurance company uh, um, you know, is, is, is off her back. Because if she cannot work right now, there is no reason why the insurance company is trying to force her back. Good for another week. In the meantime, here's the email address, help at the insurancelawyer.ca. The number anytime is one 9646 And you haven't been there, check out injurycalculator.ca. Find out what your pain and suffering could be. That's just pain and suffering, of course, just the tip of the iceberg, but it gives you a, a good number as well. And if you haven't gone for fightformyltd.com, basic drop-down menu, five questions, get you uh, on to some information about your LTD when uh, Saman's not available on the phone. Again, that number to wrap it up. It's one 990 9646 This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio, AM640.